Uh, but why don't we make him feel right at home here as we welcome actor to come and speak you. Bless you, Jez. <laughs> oh. Guys, thank you very, very much. Um, Jez, is it all right if I just say a little bit? I, w I wasn't planning to do this. Jez said, tell a bit of your story through the sermon. I couldn't really fit it in, not because it's a three-hour sermon or anything like that. Um, but while we were worshipping, I just felt I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story um, before, I, before I speak to you. Um, Jez has asked me to speak about Jesus, the friend of sinners. And um, even, even a day like today, just coming to speak to you guys is so rich for me because I, I just grew up not knowing that God was real. I, I grew up in England, so I heard about Jesus. Um, but my dad's from a Muslim background, but quite liberal. Um, and my mum, when she became a Christian when I was quite young, she had quite severe mental health problems. So it wasn't the best advert for Christianity, that she had multiple personality and suicidal tendencies. And Jesus, hooray! <laughs> well, it took years, but God healed her. And uh, where we're at right now, I talked to my dad quite a lot yesterday morning, which was amazing. Um, he actually, for the first time, said to me, you know, when I'm exploring things about faith and thinking about church, he's a Muslim background, but me and my two brothers have all become Christians at different times in very dramatic ways where the evidence of Jesus in our life was pretty, pretty huge. Um, so there's only my dad left from that family. None of us knew Jesus early on. And um, all sorts of reasons for me. I mean, um, Joel hasn't read the bit of my story in the book, but sometimes I'm amazed I'm still alive, genuinely. Not anything dramatic, just was a bit of an idiot growing up. Um, I, I, had a I was terrified of speaking in any setting. You know, like a small room. If you, you know when you go to training courses or something and they put a badge on you and just tell us why you're here and what your name is would reduce me to jelly. And I was terrified of you know, watching. It's like Jaws's fin going around the room <laughs> till it's my turn. And now I get to speak to people about Jesus. And it's just amazing to me. There's, um, Jez has told you those two things. Uh, I'm, I'm in a period of my life right now where we talk about Jesus, the friend of sinners, um, he's my best friend and, I've, and I'm learning more and more every day that, that that means more than I ever dreamt possible it means that he's with me all the time and that means extraordinary things happen whether they're little uh, even this week I, could, I won't because I want to get on and preach <laughs> a message um, but even this week I could tell you things that he's done and said that are just astonishing to me and some of them I can share and people will be like wow really? Some of them are really private, but, but he is my best friend, and I don't spend enough time with my son, this is Joel, with my daughter, my wife, uh, with friends, Jez, I've probably been together four times in the whole of our lives. There's always people you want to spend more time with, and I've learned, and I'm learning, and I'm every day walking more and more into this thing, that when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, that my sheep know my voice and they follow me, I won't leave you as orphans. It really means that the one person you never, ever have to be apart from, ever, and the one person you can expect to speak back to you when you speak to him is God. So I'm going to pray and ask him to help me to bless you this morning. Um, I hate being, like, I just, I, I've done some preparation, <laughs> and God's had me preach to people before, so I trust him, um, and I trust that he's going to speak as we look at the word together, but I just want to pray and Father, I, I love it. I was speaking to John just now and thanking him for his gift um, and the band leading us so well, Lord, those three guys. Um, but I'm rejoicing that you're in the room, Lord. You, you are here, Lord Jesus, so evidently. And your spirit is here. And Father, you are here with all your attention on us. 
Lord, you love this family, this church family. You have plans for them. Lord, incredible to see what you're doing here, Lord, and just to catch something of your love for these people in this place. And Father, I ask you, you'd use me in ways I don't understand, Lord. I love that you've made me relaxed about doing this kind of thing. More than relaxed, Lord. It's a joy and a genuine privilege. I ask you, Father, to make it count um, for people here and in ways, again, I can't imagine. But Lord, open your word to us, Jesus. And Lord, let your voice be heard in your name and for your sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, look. Jesus, friend of sinners, I, I'm not ashamed to say I use Google for my Bible study as well as a Bible, you'll be pleased to know. But you know, if you get into any kind of internet search about anything about Christianity, you find a lot of debate, don't you? And this phrase, friend of sinners, when I was first a Christian, um, it was a song we used to sing. I can't remember who sang it, but it was Jesus, friend of sinners, friend of mine. And so it's something I've grown up with as a Christian over the last sort of 20 years, I think I've been um, following Jesus now. So I know it. But when you get into kind of internet debate about it, it's actually quite a controversial phrase. And, and I feel like what God wants to do this morning is bring us onto solid ground. So if someone says to you, is Jesus the friend of sinners? You're, you're able to answer it and say with confidence, he is and more. And this is what it means. And there is, there's, there's something good about seeking truth and it really searching the scriptures. What does this really mean? We want to we wanna know truth. We want to be able to... If God desires truth in the inmost in parts, it's in the Psalms, so should we. And so we want to know what the Bible's saying. And, and, the, and it's good for people to debate these things, but sometimes we can get lost in the debate. And the debate around friend of sinners is, is basically, are, are you saying, if you say Jesus is a friend of sinners, are you saying that he's tolerant of sin, he turns a blind eye to sin, that he's just, he's a liberal essentially? And others will say, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners, he was a friend of sinners who'd repented and disciples, but he was firm with sinners and then you get people bringing up things like Psalm 5.5 actually says you detest those who do wrong. It's in the Bible and, and part of the root of it again is good. It, it's actually because the phrase friend of sinners it appears in Matthew and Luke comes out of Jesus's mouth but it's him saying to the people around him you're looking at John the Baptist fasting and wearing all his funny clothes and being and you're saying he has a demon and you're looking at me the son of man feasting with people and going to their houses and eating with them and you're saying he's a drunken and a, and a what's the a, a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners so it's a name for Jesus that was given to him by his enemies and we're not there's no sermon in your series I don't think Jesus the drunkard or Jesus the glutton but the third one in that series is Jesus the drunkard Jesus the glutton Jesus the friend of sinners so there is a little bit of ambiguity around the phrase, isn't there? So what I, what I feel like God wants us to do is get onto solid ground, and we'll meet with, we've been meeting with God already this morning, but uh, again, Father, just want you to lead us into a response, Lord. As we open the word together, would you lead us as we take communion, as we enjoy fellowship with you and, and one another, Lord? We, we want to ask that you, I always pray this, Father, you know. Lord, if I go into the rain, I get wet. And when I get into your presence, Lord, particularly with other believers, Lord. I want to be changed in your presence again. And we want to ask if there are people here who don't know you, Lord, that you extend that hand of friendship and love to them, Lord, and much more as well, Lord. We want to ask that you you speak to us and you change us this morning. In your name again, Jesus. I want to focus in on one verse. Jez, how long, roughly, a a couple of hours? Okay. (laughs) 
half an hour, okay. I'm, I'm notoriously bad at stopping, so just someone give me a sign. <laughs> Lord, give me a sign. <laughs> um, I want to focus in on one verse. This is solid ground, I think. When you're looking at Jesus, friend of sinners, solid ground. It's 1 Timothy 1.15. It's 1 Timothy. This is a letter, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a guy, Paul, who really was a sinner, and he's going to say that in this verse. Um, he, he was a, a well-learned rabbi who used to persecute Christians, even to death and imprisonment, split up families. He got letters written so that he could hound Christians in the early church. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. If he had had his way, there would be no church. We wouldn't be here. The, the name of Jesus would have been blotted out forever. And he became possi- one of the most influential men in the whole of history, let alone one of the most influential church leaders. And he took the gospel around the world. And he's writing to this young guy, Timothy, and he's saying this. I I was going to read the whole context out, but you can read it for yourself. I'm not not really going to open up the the kind of before and after. But here, here is the phrase. Here is a trustworthy saying worthy of full acceptance. This is solid ground. It's not Jesus reporting that his enemies have called him a Jesus, the friend of sinners. Here is a trustworthy saying worthy of full, full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. That's Paul writing to Timothy. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the worst. And I want to say, if there's any controversy around the phrase friend of sinners, there's none in this verse. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. My acceptance, your acceptance, whether you come in as a Christian this morning or not, whoever, if you are a Christian, whoever you meet during the week, this is a verse a bit like Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation, for the saving of people. This is, this is one of those verses. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance for whoever you meet and whoever hears it. And it is good news. I want to say this morning that the truth, and I will share a bit of my own experience, and, and I can hear and see around the room so much evidence of Jesus here this morning that for some of us this is just a reminder of who he is and what he's done for us. Um, but I, I, just, I want to just celebrate this amazing. I was one of those people, before I was a Christian, when I met Christians, I, would, I was so sure of myself saying, your notion of God is so wrong because if God created hell at all, He's unjust. Why would he create any one person to go to hell? I, I, said, I used to say, if I bred white mice and squashed half of them, you'd think I was a villain. How is your God any different? That's how sure I was. When I became a Christian, I was like, yeah, this is good news for some of us, but it's pretty bad news for everyone else. I tell you, I'm in a place right now with God. I'm very um, sober about what is coming to people when they don't accept Christ. I really am. I've got family members, friends, who will not, and some of them are so baffled. They're, you know, at the seaside, you get those 2P machines. They put your 2Ps in and the coins will fall off and they're all sitting right on the edge waiting to fall off and they never fall off. I've got friends and family like that who seem to know everything about Jesus and have seen him. They'll even let me pray in his name because they know he'll heal them, but they won't accept him. I'm very sober about that. But, but I want to say as we look at this verse together, the gospel is good news, full stop. It's the best news. It's, uh, it's incredibly good news and the first thing is really this is good news for the world again part of this idea this controversy around friend of sinners you'll get a whole group of Christians saying hang on hang on if you call him a friend of sinners you're saying he's tolerant of sin or he turns a blind eye to sin or he's liberal and he's God's never turned a blind eye to sin I want to take a, a quick look at the whole of human history and it will be a quick look I promise the whole of human history right 
Does God turn a blind eye to sin or does he look it full in the face and do something about it? I've spoken with rabbis and imams. I've got Muslim family and they have such a high view of God. And one of the great offences, I'm a social worker. I go around Westminster meeting people and Muslim people. They, you have a Muslim name. You have a Muslim father. You are a Muslim. They were incredibly offended, some of them, that I'd chosen to follow Christ. And they were offended by my faith because they said, your view of God is too small. How can God have a son? It's, it's blasphemy. How can God die on a cross? It's blasphemy. Your view of God is too small. And my response to them, increasingly confident I've become of this, your view of God is way too small. Because they talk about God being appeased by sacrifice or good living. I got, you know, even my kids are talking to them. If I, if I try to give my kids moldy bread, they're, they're not going to eat that, are they? They've been brought up in a rich country. They're, they're not going to eat moldy bread. If I put jam or honey over it, they're still not going to eat it. How, how can this holy God accept our good deeds on top of the bad? And how bad is it? Let's go right back to the beginning of human history. Remember, Jewish people, Muslims, they share the same ancestry as us, spiritual ancestry. So your first created people get it so tragically wrong that they cast the whole of the human race into sin and separation from God. You know, even this debate about is it it right to call Jesus friend of sinners? This This is human beings elevating themselves to the place of God. I don't want to be critical again of seeking the truth and I'm not judging people engaging in the debate but there's a danger that with this knowledge of fruit or this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil inside us at the fall that makes us think we know right and wrong apart from God you get men and women setting themselves up above the argument saying no no these people are sinners and these are disciples this you see the no go right back to the beginning the first human being sinned terribly and cast the whole thing into despair the first children born to mankind, two brothers, and, they, and one of them kills the other. And it doesn't get any better, friends. I said to these guys, I even did a talk with imams and, and, uh, and a rabbi at the university, and I just said, your view of God is too small. His grace, even, even just to look on humanity, because generation after generation throughout history, it's been wars, and Joel and I watched a program the other day, um, Gumball, it's one of our favorite cartoons, and one of the characters says, look at human history. Violence always solves everything. And my kids are like, is he right? Because it looks like it. But it doesn't. I said it doesn't solve anything, actually. It just fixes something for some person or some group of people before the next fight starts. Generation after generation has been more wicked than we could possibly imagine. Has God tolerated it? Or has he promised generation after generation, I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to do it in a way that will save some of you. In fact, just like Jez saying, all of you are welcome to his house. This doesn't equate. I'm not saying if you don't go to Jez's house, you're not saved. But God says to all of humanity, I'm going to make a way. Peter wrote, this fisherman full of the Holy Spirit said, God, Jesus is coming back and he's not slow in keeping his promise to return as some people understand it. He's waiting because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So generation after generation, he knows that there's evil. He, he knows this. It grieves his heart. It breaks his heart. It is an abomination. It's horrible to a holy God. And he should have wiped us out every single time in his justice. Why didn't he? Romans 3 tells you it's his forbearance. He's waiting for the day that he'll fix it in Jesus Christ. So he doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. Do you see how the, how the discussion about, oh, if you're calling him a friend of sin, is it, you're making him a liberal. No, 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 no. God has watched over human sin for generations. 
He will do something about it. He has done something about it. Do you know, even, even at the moment, if you're a Christian, there are things happening in our nation that are a gift for the gospel. I said to my dad the other day, the Bible's right, you know, when it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We're living in a season in the news where guys I grew up watching on TV have been shown to be villains, right? Jim will fix it and other guys. People that we kind of thought, these are, these are good guys. No, 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 you don't know how bad they are, how bad they were. And then it's like the banking crisis and the politicians with their expense scandals and things. We, we think in, the, in here... We're civilized. We don't have the same corruption as you know, Eastern Europe. or We're civilized. No, no. Bit by bit, I feel like in the last how many years, God has been peeling the lid back, showing us how bad it is. Bankers, politicians. I'm, a, look, I'm not criticizing you if you're one of those. I'm a social worker. I get people literally when they ask me what I do, they do this to me and I say I'm a pastor as well. I love that sign. <laughs> but I'm, social workers are vilified because of stuff. So I'm not casting stones if you're a banker we need Christians in those professions don't we but there's been widespread scandal exposed football coaches what's the latest one charities it's Oxfam was a shock eh but save the children and the Red Cross suddenly are in the news what's going on what's going on is the harvest is the end of the age and people cannot be good in their own right they cannot be is Jesus a friend of sinners now, Jesus came into the world at great personal cost to save sinners, of which I'm the worst. That's what Paul said. It's good news for the world. You've got, you, you, when you, when, in my old way of thinking of it's not good news for the world, Lord, because they're going to go to hell. No, no, no. They're going to hell. This is the best news. Because God has watched over this and he's made a plan and he's made a way. If you're breathing today, it's either because God wants you to receive Christ or it's because he wants you to help others to receive Christ. Full stop. Paul even said, I'm longing to go back to be with Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you're a Christian, you've got to know you're a stranger on the earth. The only reason God has you on earth is because he's, he's going to have you love and bless people into his, into his friendship. There's no other reason. It's, it's better for you. Why would he want you to cry another day? He doesn't even want you to have another itch. He's that good. It came out in the worship earlier. His whole heart is to honor you and love you and bless you beyond what you could understand. And this is the second bit of good news. Every generation has given God reason to snuff us out and he doesn't need us. Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect. One God in three persons doesn't need anybody, but, but for love created the world out of the overflow of his heart and for love gave his son, Jesus, so that anyone who believes in him might not die but have eternal life. It's good news for the world. You've got to, uh, Father, I even want to pray it for myself, for my brothers and sisters here, for those who don't know you here, Lord, but for the church across the UK. We need to stop apologizing for the gospel because the world is rotten to the core, Lord. And all that's good has come from you, Father. There is common grace. The sun shines on the righteous and the wicked. But that film I watched of the Syrians being bombed today, Lord, I watched it and despaired, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, this is good news. And it's trustworthy. It's worthy of full acceptance. Guys, it, it is good news for us personally. Paul, in his day, took the gospel to more of the known world than anyone else. I mean, he, God used him in that way. There'll be others who may have prayed more. You know, the last will be first, first. We don't know if Paul's going to sit at the right hand that James and John wanted to sit at. But he, he was 
a mover and a shaker in the kingdom, right? He took the gospel far and wide. When you read Matthew 28, the command is huge. Go into every nation, teach all nations to obey me, obey my commands, make disciples of them, baptize them, all nations. How long should we do that for, Lord? Until I come back, until the end of the age. What's our place in that? Well, our first place is that we receive grace from God ourselves. And it is such good news from us. And you know, there's something about Jesus. When people try and understand God, what a gift. You know, the only reason, if you're a flat earther, apologies, I'm going to talk about a round earth for a second. But the only way we can understand what the world looks like is because someone made a globe and showed us a mini Google Earth or whatever you want to. You know, my son's got one in his room, a little globe. And what a gift of God, let alone the cross and salvation and Jesus' blood, that if you want to see what God looks like, there is this perfect man, Jesus Christ, who brings infinite God. I've just seen this week two pictures, composite photos and, and a model of the whole entire known universe because it's finite. And Solomon, King Solomon said that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. There is nothing new under the sun, nothing that we can conceive of that hasn't been seen somewhere in creation except for infinity. Infinity is not the opposite of finity or finiteness. It's something else. It's of God. And the only reason we can conceive of it in any degree is because God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And I've got these two models in front of me. Aren't we clever? We've built models. Yeah, but what's all this space? There's literally one of the videos of the model says, this is nothing, 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 nothing. And your human brain can't understand that. The guy says it. He's not a Christian. He just says, you can't understand it. So we just, we'll call it nothing. But this is the known universe. And, and God is outside of that and bigger than that. I mean, it's mind-blowing, except that he gave us Jesus. And, and Jesus makes the infinite accessible. And you see in him... This man, again, if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you. And if you are, I want to give you a gift again. I I use this all the time. You've got to take notice of Jesus in whatever country you're in. Because in human terms, he makes no sense at all. He was a crackpot or a criminal who lied about himself or made up story, believed strange things about himself for three years and got crucified for his trouble amongst thousands of people who were crucified even that year probably hundreds at least in that year how has he changed the world and how has he influenced laws and poems and paintings more than any other human being if that is all there is no the only third option c.s lewis said this didn't he he's either a crackpot or a criminal or he was telling the truth and there's no fourth option ask people if they're born in 1980 1990 2000 and they don't believe in christ say just stop and read something about the guy because you're born 2000 years after this man not after Buddha or Gandhi. or Why has he split? Even this, this is just stuff God has just wowed me with. Do you know the softest footfall God himself could have taken onto the earth? Because you read about him, he puts his feet on the earth and cedars shatter and mountains split, was to be born as a baby, pre-CNN and Sky News, into a tiny little stable, the softest footfall that he could have made on the earth, to be born as a nobody in a stable on a cold night to a, a young girl and her soon-to-be husband. Can you imagine? The softest football, and he split human history in half. That's how big Jesus is. Except that he's accessible to us as well. And, and man, I love him. He's here. Can you believe it? Even as we talk about him in these grand terms, he's here. He's somehow letting me speak. And he's smiling and he's attentive. 
His ears are open. You've got to go back to the new covenant. You've got, to, you've got to realize, even as I'm saying this, I can feel it just troubles us as Christians. You've got to read that the temple curtain was ripped at the moment Jesus died. You've got to, you've got to read in 1 Corinthians 6.17 that whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit forever. You've, you've got to know that you really, do, you really can know him. Proverbs 18.24, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name's Jesus. He's here right now. It's extraordinary. And, and when we read the Gospels, I, I was going to read it again, but I'm not going to read it. I don't think we've got the time. You can read it in Luke 19. I mean, even Paul's story, it's, these, it's like the glory of God's plan for salvation, the glory of God, are so often we catch them in the, in the miniature, in the moment, in the individual stories. Paul, I started by telling his story, murderer, hated Christianity, He's like, if, if you're looking around for the Antichrist, you'd have thought, oh, it's Paul. No, no, Paul is my great evangelist and apostle, says Jesus. Amazing. And he's saved on that road to Damascus. But then you've got others as well. You've got um, Luke 19 is the story I was going to read of Zacchaeus. You know the story? It's amazing. Um, I won't read it. But it says that Jesus comes into Jericho, but he's just passing through. Why is he passing through? Because he's determined to see the plan out. Why? Because he came into the world for no other reason than to save sinners, of which I am the worst. What good news is that? So he's purposeful. He comes into Jericho. He's passing through on his way to Jerusalem. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He always, always responds to someone who will take a look at him or ask him. So Zacchaeus is this little guy, if you don't know the story. The crowds are all around Jesus. He's like trying to see this guy he's heard so much about. The, the big news around is, is this the Messiah? Because God has not turned a blind eye to sin. He's promised that one will come, he'll fix it all. Zacchaeus is hopping, trying. is this the guy? He runs ahead, climbs up a tree, this little man, and he looks down. And Jesus, when he gets to him, he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I need to eat at your house today. Jesus always, he's, he's purposeful. He, don't, you must hear this. You mustn't worry about your church not, not fulfilling God's plan. God is going to fulfill his plan. Our invitation is to be there with him as he does it. You can't obstruct God's plans. You're not going to make the harvest any smaller. But the great invitation is come and do this with me. And you're doing it. I can hear it as you worship today. He's, he's got a plan. He's going to see it through to fulfillment. But he's always, always, always going to respond to the person who calls on his name. Remember blind Bartimaeus? They're all telling him, stop bothering him. Son of David, have mercy. Stop calling him. He calls him all the louder and Jesus comes. Always comes to those who call on him. This is good news, eh? And, and what does he do? I love this. He does it with Matthew in Luke 5 as well. Matthew Levite. Who's another, these are both tax collectors. They were the social workers of the day. They were not popular. They were, they were, they were not, sorry, I'm not going to do social workers wrong either. I love social workers. I love tax collectors. But, but a lot of these tax collectors were robbing people. They were extorting money for themselves. They were rich. They were seen as traitors to their Jewish people. They were working for the Romans. Both of these guys, Jesus says, come follow me. And the very next verse says where, where they followed him. Where do they follow him? Back to their own houses. Jesus will meet you where you are. It's, it's not, God, scrub yourself up and then you can become a Christian. No, Jesus says, first he, he's on his plan. He's going to call you. And there is, I totally believe in him calling us. You didn't choose me. I called you and chose you and appointed you to be, bear lasting fruit to my father's glory. He says that. But there's something about how he's going to do his thing. He's going to respond to anyone who calls. However small or evil you think you are, he will respond. And when he says, come and follow me, the first place he'll follow, he'll follow you. 
exactly where you are. He'll eat with you, meet with you. It's incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. I, I love it so much. And, and Zacchaeus' response immediately, because the people around start muttering, and they don't say he's a friend of sinners. They say, he's going to be a guest of a sinner, because they know what Zacchaeus is, these men and women around. They're like, where's his discernment? Out of all of us, he's picked this evil man. We know him. He's a sinner. And Zacchaeus says, right here and now, I give away half of my stuff to the poor, and anything I've robbed from any of you, I'm going to give you four times as much back. Where's the Bible study or the course he went on, the discipleship course, the generosity stewardship course? No, the spirit inside him, the the good news of Jesus has accepted me, changed his life immediately. He didn't need to be schooled, but Jesus still has a lesson for people because he says at the end of the passage, we get it right. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. How are we doing? Okay. Jesus. I've got a couple more things to share with you and then we'll pray and meet with this amazing Jesus, eh? Lord Jesus. This, this great story of salvation is worth having in view and the wickedness of man. I know it looks nice, but it's horrible. <laughs> People are suffering. I, I've been in tears this, this year because I've got a lot of homeless friends in Kingston. We were given our building, completely given it. It's got a heated floor. And for a list of reasons I can't go into now, we still haven't been able to open it every night for people to just come and sleep there. We're working on it with God. But these people, that, that I use the word abjection, it's the abject suffering these people are going through in London. breaks my heart. I've got a friend who's come out of the occult. He will flip-flop between saying, I want to be baptized and saying, Satan looked after me. I'm going to go back to him. He's got a broken arm and he ripped the cast off. And he's been in church cursing Jesus. He, he, I'm sorry to say this because, um, but I just, he, he soiled himself one morning in his tent and he came to church after the service and he told me what was happening. He said, I kept thinking I'm not going to make it in this morning. And I said, mate, can I just get you a pair of trousers or something? We don't have showers in our church. He's like, no, no, I don't want to trouble you, mate. I don't want to trouble you. What he's going through is what loads of people are going through. It's good news for the world. It's got to be good news for us. I want to, I want to say to you, you've got to, you've got to cherish your own story. If you read my story in the book, the, 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 the bit of my life that's covered in there is the fact that when I became a Christian, I thought I was going to do it all for God. I did have grand plans. I still don't. I was driving up this morning with Joel. I've got a friend and I, I feel like I want to say to him, mate, are you happy to be a nobody with Jesus in your life? Because if you are, you'll be the happiest man on earth. Something else he wrote to, Paul wrote to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And that, that, I've never had grand plans for, to do this or that or the other. But when I became a Christian, the day I got baptized, I, I stopped um, smoking and everything on that morning. And I said, oh, this is it. I'm going to be a Christian now. Within months, I moved back to London straight. I got baptized in Northampton. It wasn't part of a church. It's not wise. And, and the part of, I just, I struggled with sin and I have struggled with, my, with sin. I still do. But for about seven years, I went through a cycle, Romans 7 cycle, of doing all the stuff I didn't want to do, not doing the things I knew I should have done, feeling worse about it, and I've let God down, and then I'll crawl my way back to him and find that he's still there, thank God. And then I do it again, and I do it again. And I think one of the biggest changes for me was realizing when the penny dropped, in fact, it's in the book. I sat on the floor one day, I said, I can't do this anymore, Lord. 
I keep letting you down. And I heard God say to me, that's why I died. Wow. Changed my life. And it still wasn't over. I'm still growing every day. And God, are you really that good? I'm better than that. Can I really expect to hear your voice every day? I'm, of course you can and more. Because when I'm, Joel calls me and calls me three times, four times, and then has to say, Dad, get off your phone. I'm not a good dad in those moments. God is never like that. The Father is never like that. He turns to you the minute you call, turn to him. It's only that we don't turn to him. And you've got to treasure your own story, and you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy friendship with God after you've received it. And you've got to walk in it, because a true friend is not a Facebook friend. I'm, I've got, again, I'm not denigrating it. There's friends I've got over the world I would have no contact with, and I have a meaningful relationship with them through Facebook. So I'm not knocking it. But with Jesus, it's not emails, it's not texts, it's not a wave or a poke. It's like, I'm with you in every situation. He wants you to see that the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in the New. 2 Corinthians 3 will tell you that what you see and read about from Moses was like shadows next to the light that we have in Christ today. You read about any Old Testament character and you think, man, I wish God spoke to me like he spoke to David. Go and get it, you'll recover everything. Go on up to Hebron. No, don't do that. Do you, you read it, you think, man, I wish God spoke to you like that. And he says, I do. You've just got to learn my voice. You've got to believe it. You've got to practice my presence. Anything you read about in the Old Covenant is dwarfed and nothing compared to the invitation to know God the way he wants you to know him. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 if you don't believe me. Just one chapter will smash any idea that what they had was better than what we have. We've got to grow in it, treasure it, and walk in it. And I tell you, it's amazing. It's amazing when you read about people getting saved. It's amazing when you've been saved and you can treasure it and enjoy the good of it. Do you know, in some weird way, it's even more amazing when you stand with people and you see that they're born again. I was going to mail you this morning and say, maybe stick a slide in for um, this guy, Tim. He's been homeless for 20 odd years. Been coming to us for about a year. He's an old man. And he, um, he was in a psychiatric hospital for a couple of weeks. And I'd prayed with him before. And I said, I think you're born again. Because he was saying, I don't care if I'm homeless. You've got to pray that I stay close to Jesus. And I was suddenly like, what's happened to you? He's still a bit drunk. He's come back from the hospital. And he came up to me on Sunday last week. And he said, uh, said um, actor, you're my friend. And he said, um, I, think, I think Jesus sent me to the hospital because I've been praying every day. And I haven't had a drink since I came out. And he said, I love coming here. But I'm always a bit drunk, and this is the first time I've come stone cold sober. And actually, I was going to say back on the streets, because many of them are. We've seen a number of these guys and girls give their lives to Jesus. We can't care for them properly yet. But he's actually got some housing stuff being sorted out from his hospital. Do you know, that's even more amazing in some ways than my own salvation. I don't want to be disrespectful. I mean, Paul goes as far as saying, I wish I was cursed so that Jews could be saved. So I'm not, I don't think I'm being ungodly in saying it, but there's something when you see someone that you've loved becoming a child of God, that's extraordinary. And God wants it for you. And I think I'm probably even going to wrap up. I've Jesus. Yeah, let me finish there. Uh, hang on. <laughs> let me just touch on this worst of sinners bit. I don't think this is a literary gimmick. Moses wrote in one of the, um, I think it's in Exodus or somewhere, it's Moses is the writer of the book and he writes, Moses, he says, now Moses was the most humble man upon the face of the earth and he wrote it. <laughs> it's really weird. 
I don't think that's a literary gimmick. I think he was humble enough to write it because it was true. God told him, inspired by the Spirit, he wrote it down. I don't think this is a literary gimmick when Paul says, of which I am the worst. I think this is a man, you've probably heard the progression in his letters. I'm the least of the apostles, all the way down to I'm the greatest of sinners. Chronologically, that's where he writes it. I think he just knew himself that way. And I want to tell you, hand on heart, I've come to a place of knowing that I'm the worst of sinners. Now, I'm not going to argue with anyone who says, no, I'm the worst of sinners. No, I am, and compare badges or scars or what you are. But I don't know anyone the way I know myself. And I'm, I could be appalled at my sin, still. And I'm not. Do you know why? Because I'm so safe in Jesus' love and in his salvation. And he is the one who began a good work in me. And he's the author of salvation who's going to make me perfect by the end. And, and his grace is sufficient for me. It's not just when I struggle with sin, it's when I give into it. He's going he's gonna to set me free from that, and he has, time and time again, more and more and more. So I'm not kidding. I am the greatest of sinners that I know. And what does that mean for me? It means that when a guy is in front of me cursing Jesus with swear words in, in my church building, I'm not faced by it. I'm full of love, and I know God can save him, because I think I'm probably worse than this guy. And in fact, for, for what I know, I am. I'm the worst sinner that I know. And I'm so secure in him for that reason. I'm not looking at other people thinking, and I'm grateful for what I have. I still don't have these great ambitions for God. If if he says to me, go here and do this and do nothing and pray, God help me that I'd be obedient, but I'll be so happy to be with him. I've been praying as a church, God, because we've had growth and we're visible and all this stuff. And I've been praying with my leaders and even with the congregation sometimes, Lord, if you want us to be the smallest church in Kingston, if we get, you remember Jesus said, oh, don't, when you go to a, a feast, don't take the best chair because the master of the house might say to you, sorry, mate, that's not for you and put you in a humbler chair. No, take the, take the lowest chair and perhaps the master will give you a better one. It's a perhaps. It's not take the lowest chair and then they'll see you're humble and give you loads of, <laughs> no, perhaps he'll lift you up. Do you know, God wants us to have a heart that we're so happy to be sitting at the table so grateful that Jesus did this thing that I can even be here. So I've, we've been carrying that as a church and just saying, Lord, we're right in the town centre, we've got a building, people know about us, but, but genuinely, Lord, not as a trick, if you want us to be the least. I don't think he's going to shrivel us up, but if you want all the other churches to outgrow us in revival so no one talks about us or thinks about us, let your will be done because we are grateful to be a part of your family, grateful to be at your seat. I'm the worst of sinners means I'm the least ambitious for myself, the most secure in his presence because I know I can't sin myself out of his love. I can't. And I want to tell you, even objectively, and I will finish right, right here, you'll see it even in the cross. This is, this is I've, I remember when God showed me this. This is the worst day in human history. You thought Adam and Eve was bad. You thought Cain killing Abel was bad. You thought David committing adultery and, you know, the greatest king Israel ever knew was an adulterer and a murderer you thought that was bad no the worst day in human history was the day that that men laid hold of the son of God and beat him and mocked him you know it's not just physical they mocked him if you've ever been bullied or anything they physically beat him and they but they mocked him as well and they jeered at him and then they crucified him they made him carry his cross as if he wasn't carrying enough already and then the bible says that even even in all that suffering when he's on the cross 
He says, two incre- he says seven things, but two incredible things. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he identifies with sinners so much that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that in that moment, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Arguing about whether Jesus is a friend of sin- sinners is a nonsense. He's a man forever at the right hand of God. He became a man and will remain a man forever. God himself. Because he wanted to come into the world to save sinners of which I'm the worst. Isn't it amazing? Um, Father, I just want to ask your help, Lord. I'm, I, feel like, I don't feel like I've even begun. I feel like a toddler, Lord, in the things of God. I feel like I was just saying to John, I feel like there's a wrestle, Lord, going on all across churches in the UK. And the wrestle is between, uh, it's almost a bit like the battle between mammon and God for our hearts. You know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And he highlighted mammon, the love of money, because money promises all the stuff that God alone can give. Mammon says, money says, I will, especially in our culture and and our country, money says, I will give you health, I'll heal you. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. No, only you, Lord, can give those things. And I feel like there's a similar battle going on in the church all across this nation, Lord. Will we lean into you and your presence and your wisdom? Will we trust in you with all our heart and love you with all our heart, soul, and strength? Or will we trust in our own wisdom and understanding? And will we trust in strategy and method? None of these things are bad, but it's got to be Jesus first and wisdom and strategy second. And Lord, I want to pray for this congregation, even, even today, that we will know you love us. You love us, you love us, you love us. 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we love God. What, what an antidote to every religious lie in the whole world. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Father, even in these moments as we sing, I guess, and take communion together, I'll hand over to Jez, but Lord, would you do something deep in our hearts, set us free from the fear that you're not with us, from the fear that you don't love us or that we can lose your love. Lord, nothing will separate us from your love. And Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to know you, needs to give their life to you, Lord, would you bless them now and and move in their hearts, Lord, and and just show them and, and give them life. Would you choose them and what you've done for the rest of us, would you do it for them? In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.